welcome to the Primary Ride Home for Tuesday, April 9th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Eric Squalwell gets into the race on Colbert. Mike Gravel enters the race, kinda. Amy Klobuchar rakes in $5 million. 538 analyzes cable TV news so you don't have to watch it. And Biden still leads in early polling. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. Last night on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Eric Swalwell announced that he is officially running. Now, this trend of announcing on a talk show is not new, and Swalwell is actually the second candidate in this cycle alone to announce on Colbert. Kirsten Gillibrand was first. Now, by my count, this brings the field to 18 major candidates and several hundred minor ones. On Colbert, Swalwell walked on stage to the house band playing the song Santeria by Sublime, which I think we can all agree is objectively the best Sublime song. Swalwell proceeded to take jabs at the current president and banter with Colbert for a while. Then he got to its opening argument. Quote, I've been in Congress for six years. I've defended our country from the Intelligence Committee while democracy's been on the ropes. I started a group of young members of Congress called Future Forum. We've gone all over the country to listen to and stand up for the next generation of Americans. And I see a country in quicksand, unable to solve problems and threats from abroad, unable to make life better for people here at home. Nothing gets done. I've talked to teachers and truckers and, you know, nurses, and they feel like they're just running in place, and it's not adding up to anything. I've talked to people who are just like me, who were the first in their family to go to college. They've got a lot of student debt can't buy a home, can't start a business. I've talked to kids who sit in their classroom afraid that they'll be the next victim of gun violence, and they see Washington doing nothing about it after the moments of silence. And they see lawmakers who love their guns more than they love our kids. And none of that is going to change until we get a leader who is willing to go big on the issues we take on, be bold in the solutions we offer, and do good in the way that we govern. I'm ready to solve these problems. I'm running for president of the United States, end quote. After the applause died down, Colbert gave Swalwell a commemorative I announced on the late show with Stephen Colbert button saying, quote, fewer of these are given out every year than the Nobel Prize, end quote. Then Colbert did a bit where he called Swalwell's mom on his cell phone and asked whether she as a Republican would vote for her son. She responded, as long as none of his other brothers are running against him, I'll vote for him. Colbert ended the segment by showing off a novelty lawn sign that read, Swalwell, one of your top 20 choices. In CNN coverage, much was made of Swalwell's age. He's 38, and while serving in Congress, he's devoted a lot of attention to issues that affect younger generations, especially millennials. But I do want to point out for the pedants in the crowd, myself included, that Swalwell is technically just barely part of Generation X. And he's older than both Tulsi Gabbard and Pete Buttigieg. Not by much, but still, let's keep our generations clear here, right? Now, over on Twitter, Amy Walter noticed a trend. Quote, In just three days, three new Democratic candidates have announced their candidacies. Why? The fundraising totals from the big names have been less than eye-popping. A mayor of South Bend raised $7 million and is getting more media attention than the big names. So, why the heck not run? End quote. In a reply to Walter's tweet, Bradley Baychock suggested that part of the reason for this recent influx is the March 31st donation filing deadline imposed by the Federal Election Commission. More on that later in today's show and next week. Baychock says those candidates are jumping in now, in early April, because they knew they couldn't raise that much money in the first quarter 
and would rather gamble on the second quarter and aim for a chance to appear in the debates. Seeming to echo that line of thinking on Twitter, Fred Gutenberg wrote, quote, Whether or not Swalwell is your first choice, all gun safety supporters should donate at least $1 so you can reach 65,000 supporters and get on the debate stage to support gun violence prevention, end quote. And if you, like me, are not sure who Fred Gutenberg is, he's the father of Jamie Gutenberg, one of the kids murdered in Parkland, Florida. Now, Swalwell is actually holding a town hall event tonight with the Parkland community to highlight gun control. Swalwell is by no means a single-issue candidate, but by starting his week with the Parkland families, he's sending a very strong message. In fact, back in December, he spoke at a Progress Iowa event on the issue. He said, quote, We should go big and be bold and expect that in our lifetime we can have background checks. We can ban and buy back every single weapon of war. We can fund and study gun violence. We can take care of people with mental illness needs. End quote. And rounding out the Swalwell coverage, let's turn back time once more to December 2018 when Cher, yes, Cher, proposed either a Biden-Harris or a Biden-Swalwell ticket for 2020. Interesting. On Twitter, Frank Lazar wrote, in part, quote, Cher might be a talented performer, but does anyone care who Cher thinks should run? End quote. So Swalwell retweeted that and added this note. I love this note. Quote, yes, my mom loves Cher and she's thrilled. Don't diss my mom, pal. End quote. Next up, an actual single-issue candidate who admits he is not in the race to win, but as of yesterday, he is officially in the race, so I feel like I kind of have to cover this. And yeah, technically this means we now have 19 major candidates. We'll talk in future shows about how that counting process works. All right. Mike Gravel, who is now 88 years old, announced his candidacy in a YouTube video that featured archival clips of his long career in public service. Gravel is a former senator from Alaska who retired from politics in 1981 and was recently drafted to run for president this cycle by a group of activists who heard about him on the Chapo Trap House podcast. Anyway, back to that YouTube announcement video. Gravel himself sits in a park through most of it just staring at the camera, only speaking about three minutes in after throwing a rock into a pond. He says, quote, It's time to make some waves for change. I'm Mike Gravel, and I'm running for president. End quote. Now, if this thing about throwing a rock into a pond after hanging around in a park rings a bell, that may be because Gravel did the same thing in his 2008 presidential announcement video, which is also still on YouTube. There's a link to that and to the new one in the show notes. If you'll recall, that was the video where he just stood there, staring at the camera without speaking, for a minute and ten seconds, before turning around, walking down a path, finding a rock, and tossing it in a lake. He then proceeded to walk the rest of the way down the path in real time with no edits. And that was it in 2008. That was the announcement. And he did make his way into the primary debates that year. So this could work. Gravel's announcement yesterday explicitly asks donors to get him in the race for one reason only, to appear in the primary debates. He issued a statement which read, in part, quote, My message centered around an anti-imperialist foreign policy and fundamental political reform is one that no other Democratic candidate is making the centerpiece of their campaign. After the first two debates, I will drop out and endorse the most progressive candidate, end quote. 
Gravel's platform is actually up right now on Google Docs in draft form, and it is 29 pages long, with more being added as I write this. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. And now, today in money. Senator Amy Klobuchar has raised just over $5.2 million in the first quarter of 2019. Now, the filing deadline for those numbers with the FEC is actually Monday. So what we're seeing right now is campaigns releasing what they feel are good numbers to the media ahead of that technical deadline on Monday when they have to tell the feds and, by extension, the rest of us. It's a little weird reading the media about this announcement and the others we've seen so far. There's a lot of comparative commentary about how much money is a lot or a little, and that makes some sense because it's hard to figure out the scale of these numbers. Because look, the thing is to me, $5.2 million sure sounds like a lot. And in fact, according to what we officially know right now at the time I write this, which might change by the time you hear it, this amount of money puts Klobuchar in fourth place in this giant field just in terms of her Q1 donations. So let's review that top five real quick. Bernie Sanders is first, Kamala Harris is second, Pete Buttigieg is third, and then you've got Amy Klobuchar in fourth, just ahead of Cory Booker, who reportedly has $5 million even. And by the way, Beto O'Rourke probably has a super big number too, north of $9 million, but he hasn't officially told us his total Q1 numbers because he probably wants to own a piece of the news cycle on the day that he does, just like Klobuchar does right now. Now, to add to her $5.2 million raise this year, Klobuchar actually still has money in the bank from her last Senate race in Minnesota. How much? Well, it's actually $3 million. Yeah. So even with the spending she's already done on her presidential campaign, Klobuchar's total cash on hand is around $7 million. CNN reports that only two other candidates have discussed their cash on hand. Bernie Sanders with $28 million, and Cory Booker with $6.1 million. So again, Klobuchar is just ahead of Booker by this metric. Oh yeah, and before anybody gets too excited about any of these numbers on their own, let's rewind three years and remember that Hillary Clinton raised $47.5 million in the equivalent period during the last primary season. So comparing that one number to the many numbers we're seeing right now, Clinton's raise was more than the top five candidates combined in the list I read just a moment ago. Of course, when O'Rourke gives us his real numbers and we hear from Warren and so on, that's going to change. But even Sanders, leading the pack right now in fundraising, is way, way behind where Clinton was at the same stage last time around. And the takeaway message here is big field. 
lots of medium to big players, and it is way too early to count anybody out, except actually Mike Gravel, after the second debate anyway. Over at 538, Oliver Roeder and Drew Milmeta analyzed last week's cable TV news to determine which candidates are getting the most press. They examined CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC, looking for mentions of various Democratic candidates' names. And the result is an interesting infographic. I encourage you to go look at it. There's a link in the show notes. And what they found was in the seven-day period they analyzed, there was a clear trend in who the media was talking about and when. In first place overall, perhaps obviously, was Bernie Sanders with 551 mentions. Incidentally, they are leaving out Biden for now because he technically has not announced. After Bernie Sanders and mentions, there is Beto O'Rourke with 300. Pete Buttigieg was third with 216. Kamala Harris was fourth with 198. Tim Ryan was fifth with 165. Elizabeth Warren was sixth with 163. And after that, the number of mentions drops off by about 100 per candidate, and you have this second cluster of candidates who are not getting nearly as much coverage in terms of cable TV news mentions anyway. Now, to give you a sense of how this article was received on Twitter, Jay Smooth wrote, quote, There is no earth on which Tim Ryan should be getting more coverage than Elizabeth Warren, end quote. Well, Mr. Smooth, just wait for next week. I'm pretty sure things will smooth out. Now, if we look at that list that 538 identified, it tracks relatively closely with fundraising numbers, at least for the candidates who have released their Q1 numbers or teased those numbers, like O'Rourke, during the time period we're talking about. That's, again, that thing of releasing your numbers and getting a big bump in the media that day. And then there's Tim Ryan, who announced his candidacy during the week they analyzed, so he's in there because he had an announcement bump. That makes sense. But I want to get into something that wasn't actually discussed in the story, which is exactly how two reporters managed to watch CNN, Fox News, and MSNBC 24-7 for an entire week trying to catch candidates' names, or whether they, I don't know, like got an intern to do it, or a lot of interns, right? Well, okay, good news, no human actually did that work, and honestly, I am relieved because I would not want to be on that job. I am super happy to let the robots take this one. So I looked at the fine print on 538's chart, and as it turns out, their data is derived from something called the GDELT project. GDELT stands for Global Database of Events, Language, and Tone. Now, they got their data from the TV News Archive, which is itself a project of the Internet Archive. What this all means is they're searching for keywords in the closed captions for those TV news stations. Now we're getting somewhere. In this case, the procedure was to look for candidates' names within 15-second windows of closed caption text in order to roughly count how many times they were mentioned overall. And I want to highlight this partly because I'm just super relieved that no human had to watch all this stuff, but also because this kind of analysis is finally mainstream. There's now enough data flowing through that TV news archive and all the other stuff to allow analysts to track these kinds of stories. Today, it was all about which candidate was mentioned most, but I'm looking forward to analysis of what the actual issues are that are being talked about. And last up today, we have the first national poll since the most recent spate of allegations against Joe Biden. Remember, Joe Biden is not running, but he's probably going to run, so we're all dealing with that in our own way. The poll is from Morning Consult. It asked voters who say they intend to participate in a Democratic primary or caucus next year who they favor. 
In the lead, you've got Biden with 32%. Next is Bernie Sanders with 23%. Then you've got Kamala Harris with 9%. Beto O'Rourke with 8%. Elizabeth Warren with 7%. Pete Buttigieg with 5%. And Cory Booker with 4%. Now, the main news that you can pull out of this data is actually the rise of Buttigieg. He was at just 1% in the week ending March 17th then 2% the next week, and 3% the week after that, and now 5%. Check the link in the show notes for more on the poll itself and some data on Biden's favorability ratings. Spoiler, they're still really good, just not as good as they used to be. That's it for another episode of The Primary Ride Home. I've been your host, Chris Higgins. You can find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. You know, I think the news today can be summed up in two ways. First, wow, is it early. It is so early, we are actually talking about polls about people who are not running yet. And despite that, yes, there's enough news every day that we have to pay attention right now. Second, this race is already chaotic, it's all over the place. And those two things together? Well, that means there's going to be some turbulence on this flight. So fasten your seatbelts, folks, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.